Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Today, I'll be bringing forth what the Lord says on the topic of serving. Pastor Mark has been in a series highlighting ordinary heroes from the Bible, which could very easily be spread out for the rest of the year because there's so much on serving when you open your Bible and read. But if we look into the lives of the ordinary heroes we've already discussed, Gideon, Deborah, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, we can all see the theme of a servant heart. Truth be told, we don't have to dig very far into our Bible readings to see the servant lifestyle exemplified. As followers of Christ, we are called to emulate his humble and compassionate character and servanthood, which was especially seen in the life of Jesus, the one that we are called to represent or represent here on earth, who showed us how to live as a servant leader. Serving in and of itself is a form of worship, a way to express your gratitude for what Jesus has done for you and to share the love and grace we've been given through Jesus. So I started up by looking up the word serve. Definitions. Those are always important. This is what I found. Serve means to render assistance, be of use, help. Servant is a person in service to another. Service is the act of helpful, useful service or activity, help, aid, the serving of God by obedience, piety, etc. volunteer service. So with that in mind, in an effort to understand how we can embrace the way of a servant leader before we tie in our ordinary heroes in the faith who exemplified the heart of a true servant, let's delve into the scriptures and explore this profound concept of serving, servanthood, and the art of being a servant leader. So I'm going to give you some examples that I found that the Lord took me to, and there were a lot. I had to cut them down. <laughs> the first one is found in Galatians 5.13. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. If you have the YouVersion app, follow along, because there will be some scriptures that I, he just gave me this morning that are not up there. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. This is the Apostle Paul encouraging believers to use their freedom in Christ to serve others selflessly, putting others' others' needs above their own desires. The next one is Matthew 20, 28. Jesus' life and ministry exemplify the ultimate act of service as he gave up his life to redeem humanity, teaching us the importance of sacrificial love and service. And it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That includes me and you, right? First Samuel, the next one, this one I took out of the NIV translation. The first two were NLT. So the NIV translation of First Samuel verse tw- uh, chapter 12, verse 24 says, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. This is Samuel encouraging the Israelites to serve God wholeheartedly in response to all the blessings and great things he's done for them. But know that the word fear in this scripture, uh, in this verse, is the definition of a healthy and respectful fear, right? It's not fear the Lord like you're, you know, it's a healthy, respectful fear. Just like you respect the power in electricity enough to not stick a... I'm going to date myself here, a piece of uh, wire hanger into a socket, yet you trust it to do what it's supposed to do, and the power doesn't stop you from using it, does it? Uh, The next one I found was John 13, 12 through 15, and the verse up here is NIV. When When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is Jesus humbly washing the the disciples' feet, demonstrating the servant leadership model and urging his followers to serve one another with humility and love. Now, in this verse, we have to understand the culture in which it was, in which um, he was talking to. And in this culture, they wore sandals, if they even had shoes at all, and walked gravel roads, dirt roads, if they even had shoes at all, right? So imagine that. You're walking down gravel, dirt, all day long with the animals traveling the same road that the animals traveled on. Imagine what your feet would look like if you don't have running water in your house like we do today. So he humbled himself to wash their feet, which meant a lot in, in, the, in this culture. The next one I found is Galatians verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 2, and this one's in NLT. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul encouraging believers to support and serve each other by helping carry their burdens, fulfilling Christ's command to love one another. Got two more verses for you in this section. So Mark 9, 35, this one's in the NIV. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. 
Jesus is challenging the disciples' perception of leadership, emphasizing that true greatness lies in being a servant to all. The next one is Hebrews 6.10. This one's in the NIV. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And this is the writer of Hebrews assuring believers that God recognizes and remembers their acts of service and love towards each other. Now, these scriptures that we've just gone through just provide a foundation for understanding the significance of serving and being a servant in the Christian faith. They illustrate the importance of selflessness, humility, love in our relationships with others and with God. So let us use these examples to embrace the heart the Lord wants us to exemplify. So in keeping with the the point system here, my first point this morning is embrace the heart of a servant. Mark 10, verse 45 in the NLT, our Lord Jesus Christ set the ultimate example of servanthood when he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many, as we've mentioned before. Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself to serve others and laid down his life for the redemption of humanity. As his followers, we are called to adopt the same selfless attitude, putting others' needs above our own. True leadership is found in humble service, not in seeking to be served or seeking something in return. Let us understand that to embrace the heart of a servant, we have to act on the desire of our heart when it says or shows you things to act on, right? So for example, you might see someone struggling to put their wheelchair in a car from at a grocery store or opening the door with a walker at the same time, or reaching for an item on the shelf that they can't reach. That's usually me. These are things that your spirit is showing you. Your spirit is nudging you to respond because you notice them. And sometimes no one else gets the notion in their spirit but you. So if you notice them, Open your eyes, open your spiritual eyes to say, I see that person struggling. I see that person needs help. I'm the one who saw it. If I ask my neighbor, hey, did you see that lady trying to put the wheelchair in her car and struggling? Chances are they're probably going to say no, because guess who saw it, saw it, saw it? You. And those are the things that you want to get spiritual discernment to like lord are you telling me is that you is that you telling me to go help that person because in and of ourselves we're selfish we were born that way if you don't believe me spend time with a toddler everything is mine 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 because i watched elias yesterday he was mine everything he's got free reign in the house everything is his so we're, we're selfish by nature, and we have to fight that internal compass that's telling us, putting those blinders on, making us focus on only our needs and not 
opening ourselves up to see the others around us that may need help, that the Lord is calling us to help. Because, see, we can see things all day long and go help and then feel proud of ourselves. I did that. But if the Lord is telling you to do something, it's going to be outside of your comfort zone, outside of my comfort zone. So when he calls you to do something, you know it's his voice because it's not something that you would see on your own. We're selfish. So what would you do to come out of that selfish behavior that you know is in you? We have a selfish brain. We have to bypass it because if I send you to the store, you're going to be store. Cart, soap. Blinders on, soap, car, soap. At least my husband is anyway. He's focused. You're focused, right? And a lot of times I find myself doing that here too because I serve. Every Sunday that I'm here, I'm in the tech arts team serving. And sometimes I'm so focused that I forget to say, hey, Sherry, how are you? And she'll come tap me and I'll be like, oh, hey, hey, how are you? I'm focused. And so we have to break out of that selfish nature that we have to really hear what the Lord is telling us when our our brothers and sisters are in need. And even if it isn't your brother or sister, maybe it's someone who doesn't even know the Lord, but you do, and you're put in the path where that person is crossing, and you're there because you have a light that shines in you so bright that the world doesn't want to see it. We're living in a dark world. So because you have that light, where you place your feet You're blinding people with that light, especially if they're used to being in the dark. Step out of yourself to offer Jesus' love, even to those who aren't brothers or sisters in Christ, because you very well could have a profound effect in that person's life. Typically, I use that analogy as a a teaching mechanism, especially for my little nephews. Um, I had my little nephews this summer, seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. The seven-year-old, of course, you have to put boundaries because they don't know boundaries. The seven-year-old, I'm teaching him to have a servant heart, and he has it. He has a servant heart. He wants to help, but he has to be told he's seven what to help with. So when I see someone in need of help, I use that as an opportunity to say, Sean, look at that lady. Do you think she needs help? And he'll say, can I go help? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go help together. Or when we were in academy, this is where the boundaries come in. We saw a McDonald's cup on a shelf. And he had just come over in the aisle that I was on with a toy that he wanted. And I said, Sean, no, we're not going to buy that toy today. And he just threw it down on, and I said, Sean, is that where you found that toy? And he looked at it, he looked at me, he picked it up. I said, don't you know, these people work really hard. The employees work really hard to stack things nicely, put them in order and make sure that it's right where you need to go find it at. So if they work hard, why don't you help them by putting that back where you found it? That was a teaching moment for him, and here's how I know. Because when he came back, he said, somebody left a McDonald's cup right here. These people work hard. Why did they do that? (laughs) 
and he grabbed the cup and he went to throw it away. Underneath it, on the bottom shelf, was a, a burger or something that had ants on it. He said, and this too? And he went to reach for it, and I had to grab his hand because he didn't see the ants. And I said, no, Sean, this is where we go call an employee and tell them that there's ants and food there. And I didn't see, I was reading the back of a label. I didn't see him walk, wander off. All I, I heard him coming back saying, yeah, you work hard. They shouldn't be leaving that stuff there. He came back with an employee to pick up the food that was there with ants around it. So they're malleable. You can teach them. <laughs> but he had the servant heart already. Uh, my other nephew, who's 10, he comes here fifth Sunday. He wanted to clean all the tables after everyone was done. He wanted to make sure that he got to do something and feel like he was serving. So the servant heart is there. It's how do we cultivate it to be open it up to see the world around us, not just our little bubble. So, and, okay, so here we go. Let's see. <laughs> Okay, just consider that. Allow that to flow through you so the next time you're shown a need, you act on it as you're directed by the Holy Spirit. But of course, you will need spiritual discernment. As we all know, blessings follow obedience. And in doing so, we feel joyful, peaceful, knowing that the Lord doesn't call the equipped. If you're willing to help and you can't reach an item on the top shelf either, God will equip you with what you need to assist because he showed it to you. Pastor Mark mentioned involvement versus commitment. Are you committed to help? Or are you the one who stands by to see if the person gets help? Stands off to the side. Let me just see. I see they need help, but maybe someone else will go help. Choose to be the one that's committed. Embrace your servant heart. God calls us to commitment, not comfort. Embracing the heart of the servant requires you to shed off that old selfish nature, be selfless, and look to our great example in Jesus. Having the attitude of Christ, and don't only refer to this book, but I want you to read it to get way more than I'm able to give you today in this next verse. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. When you have time, read 1 through 11. Actually, I'll go through 1 through 11, but I think I gave you 3 through 5 up here. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Last week at Fifth Sunday, someone asked me, thank you for keeping up the conversation going at the table. Was that natural for you? Did you always know how to do that? Absolutely not. Emphatically, no. Have I always been a nosy person? Yeah. But I've never gone out of my comfort zone to really dig into a person's life and to, get to want to get to know them. It came to me. Through training here at church, for sure, for sure. Um, Pastor Christine, I have to give her all of the props for that because she helped me to come outside of myself and take interest in others and to learn about the Bible and what Jesus says and how he was selfless in his ways. So 
yeah, don't, don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others. When you take an interest in others, that conversation comes natural. 6 through 11, you don't have this, but if you have your Bibles, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My second point this morning is lead with love and compassion. As we walk in the way of our, this servant leader that we're called to be, we can remember the encouragement or the exhortation found in 1 Peter 4.10. The NIV says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The NLT says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. As God has blessed us with unique gifts and talents, we're to employ, to utilize, to apply, to bless and uplift others. Servant leaders lead with love and compassion, using their abilities not for personal gain, but for the betterment of those that they serve. In your daily life, this can look like something I witness my husband say or do as he teaches our younger nephews to have a, have a place, they, every place that they step into, whatever it is, a store, a workplace, visiting someone's home, a church house, wherever you step foot, leave it better than you found it, serving someone there. In doing so, we're activating their servant hearts to lead by example with simple acts such as picking up trash or a McDonald's cup or food with ants in the aisle or putting away things in a store that may, others may just throw in a different area into a shelf. These little things they are learning to do will help them to discover and develop their spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Because if you don't ask God, he will show you. He will show you. Because the excuses are typically, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. How many people in the Bible, the stories that you know, have all felt that they weren't enough to do what God called them to do? So are you. You have a gift. You're not, in, in, you're, you're not different. God made you uniquely, purposefully for his glory. So whatever gift that you have inside of you, you're called to share it. I love to teach. Never, never wanted to 
do this level of teaching or never saw myself in this level of teaching. But I love to teach. I'm just a teacher at heart. And I knew that about myself. But I was like, nah, I'm not that kind of teacher. I'm a teacher toward the little kids. Just give me the little kids, the little three and five-year-olds that say whatever, and then you just roll with those punches. Those are the kind of teachings that I wanted to give. But as I started coming to this church and letting the word sink into me, we're eating. You're eating the word as you come. You're eating. Now imagine eating a meal. Little kids have this internal thing that tells them, I'm full, because Elias goes, mm -mm, I don't want that. I gave him a French fry yesterday. He goes, mm -mm, I don't want that. He knew he didn't want what he wanted and what he didn't want. He knew when he was full from the meal and when he was ready to play. We lose that internal compass as we grow older. Hormones come in and all that other good stuff. So we, we lose that and we tend to overeat. Having that cue inside of us to tell us when enough is enough is when you're called out of your comfort zone. Enough is enough. I need to do something to lose the weight. Enough is enough. I should not be eating this much. Enough is enough, Christopher Sherrod. I should not be eating the, all this sugar. <laughs> so you have to find that internal compass for yourself like, okay, I've been eating. I've been eating the word of God. I've been sitting under the pastor's feet since 2009, eating, eating, eating. And now Pastor Mark said, Julia, you're going to teach. <laughs> you're ready. Julia, in and of herself, mm -mm. no, I'm not ready. I don't sound like my husband. He sounds better than me. He can teach the word better. Why don't you call him? I don't want to go. Take him first. And we saw the almighty man of God that he is last week because he is. He is a powerful man of God, and he trains our nephews up to be the same. And because of that, I sat under his feet too. So the Lord had to show me, I've got all of this for you. You're ready because I don't call the equipped. So because you feel like you're not equipped, I'm calling you. Oh, okay. Butterflies in my stomach. I'm back there. I'm nervous. I want to cry. I want to just break down. But I'm here. The Lord has something to say to each and every one of you. Come out of your comfort zone. Come out of it as he leads you. So imagine signing up to volunteer for something something you enjoy doing, whatever that might be, a 5K, a gardening event, a shooting event, KSBJ event, gaming event, fishing event, hunting event, you name the sport, it's out there. You see they're calling for volunteers. You sign up. You decided, you took the action to go and sign up for that volunteer event. I don't know what they want, but I'm going to go help. If you've taken the step to sign up for helping, your heart is to offer a helping hand with whatever that may be. Registrations, greeting, guiding, judging, filling uh, treat bags, whatever it is. Because you heard, you heard a call to action. 
from the event coordinators, which leads you to want to help. You've stepped up. It's sometimes easy to dismiss volunteer opportunities when they're presented because in our day-to-day -day busy lives, we come up with a million excuses as to why we're not able to, to assist. But if you heard it, if you took wind of it, and the Holy Spirit is nudging you to look into it, and you've obeyed enough to go put your name on the list, don't you want to be blessed by ob your obedience? We just said blessings follow obedience. We want to be blessed in some way, somehow. So here you are signing up. They give you all the positions they have available. Here's what we have. Where can you serve? Which, one, which area will you choose? If you had it your way, you would choose the area that speaks directly to you. Like, oh, yeah, I can do registrations. Oh, yeah, I can fill treat bags. Oh, I'm good at greeting. Hey, I can do that. You're going to speak what, you're going to choose what speaks to you, whatever that may be. Consider this, that the area that you would choose is perhaps where your spiritual gift lies. Whether it's in the organization of the event, reaching out to sponsors for the event, doing registrations, passing out water to participants, creating treat bags, weighing the fish from the tournament, or whatever post you can think of, you typically will choose that area you feel most comfortable. And then you think about your experience and what you can add to that post. Therefore, operating in the gift, in your gift, to help, serve, volunteer. So how does it make you feel? To serve someone else without seeking something in return. How does it make you feel when you go out, step out to go volunteer for that event? Don't you feel leaving empowered, confident? You feel good about yourself. You feel like, oh, man, I just helped them. And that it was hot out there, but I had fun. Hot out there, but you had fun. <laughs> Serving can be done in church, your workplace, your school, wherever your feet take you, stores, places of businesses to pay your bills, salons, banks, clubs you're a part of, or other areas that you may frequent. You're walking around in the likeness of Jesus. You are walking around in the likeness of Jesus. Representing him on earth. So open your eyes and your ears to the opportunities you have to be a servant on a daily basis. This is where you can discover and develop your spiritual gifts that are unique to you as you serve with love and compassion because serving is a lifestyle. It's something that's embedded in you. Imagine if Jesus walked around with blinders on, going through only to serve himself. Where would you be? My third point this morning is faithful in small things. 
The Lord values faithfulness in both big and small matters. Luke 16.10 reminds us, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. A servant leader displays faithfulness in the smallest of tasks, understanding that even the seemingly insignificant acts of service can have a profound impact on others. By faithfully serving in the little things, we cultivate a heart that is ready to serve in greater ways when the opportunities arise. Let's take a look at a few ordinary heroes in the scriptures whose small random acts of kindness or serving is highlighted. So this is where my ordinary heroes come in because the Lord led me to some ordinary heroes, some of the names that are not big names of a, of a book written in the Bible, but their acts were not insignificant. So the first one is Dorcas, which is the Greek name for Tabitha, found in Acts 9, 36 through 42. Here we encounter Dorcas, a disciple in Joppa. She was known for her acts of kindness and charity, especially making garments for the widows in her community. Her selfless service and generosity made her greatly loved by those she helped. Go back and read her story because her story is she died and they brought her back to life because of the servant that she was. But right before that, right before we learn about Tabitha in Acts 9:10, we're introduced to Ananias, whose faith was tested by the Lord when he was sent out to go to Saul, who was the persecutor that we know, right, of anyone who followed the Lord. He was called to go lay his hands on Saul to heal him. At the, at the time, Saul was on a mission to Damascus to try to get a letter from the high priest so that he can get permission to take all of the believers to jail, in, to Jerusalem. As he was getting close to Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord who showed up and is described as a light from heaven shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then he asked, who are you? And then the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. But when he got up, he tried to open his eyes only to find that he was blind. But his little entourage, the people that he were with, led him by hand to Damascus, where he sat there for three days without eating or drinking. Ananias was a believer in Damascus, right in the location where Saul was at. And the Lord called him to go out and put his hands, lay hands on Saul. Want to know the first thing that Ananias said? But Lord, don't you know what he did? Don't you know what he's known for? I'm not qualified. I don't want to go. He didn't say all that, but I can just imagine. That's what I would say. But he was in the right place at the, at the Lord's timing, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision. 
He called his name. Ananias said, yes, Lord. And that's where the Lord said, I need you to go to Straight Street to Judas's house. And when you get there, ask for Saul. He's praying to me right now. I showed him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. And that's where our first response, hesitation, fear sets in before we acquiesce and go, okay, Lord, I'm the vessel. Just do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. It's not me. They have to know it's not me. They're going to see you before they see me, right, Lord? So how many times do we find our way, our, ourselves saying, but Lord, and we give the Lord every excuse as to why we don't want to do something. The Lord simply said, go. And explains, Saul is his chosen instrument to take his message to the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel, and he will show him how much he must suffer for his name's sake. God is pretty much saying, just do what I'm telling you. I got this. I can imagine Ananias giving a huge sigh. <sighs> All right, Lord, I'm going to do it. Despite myself, I'm going to do whatever you need me to do. Despite my excuses, despite my emotions, despite me, I'm going to do whatever it is you need me to do. So Ananias goes and finds Saul, lays his hands on him, and he tells him, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. He got up, he got baptized, got some food, got his strength back. What does that story tell you? This tells us a couple of things. Fear can keep us from being used by God. And true to the heart, true, true, authentic trust in the Lord leads to obedience, which then leads to our blessings. So even you can be used in the smallest, seemingly mediocre task. Just be faithful. Take it to the Lord. The next one he took me to was Barzillai, the Gileadite, found in 2 Samuel 17, 27 through 29. Barzillai is described as an elderly man, so elderly people can't say, you can't use me. I don't have anything to give. I'm old. Barzillai. He provided King David and his men with food, shelter, and support during their time of need. His hospitality and care were essential during a critical mo moment, and his service was highly valued. Phoebe is found in Romans 16, 1 and 2. Paul commends Phoebe, a deaconess from Sincrea. She served faithfully in the early Christian community and was known for her assistance to many, including Paul himself. The Good Samaritan, found in Luke 10, 25 through 37. While not named, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan showcases an ordinary person who demonstrated compassion and service. Despite being from a different cultural background, he went out of his way to help a wounded stranger in need. 
those people don't talk to us. Do you really want me to go touch them and help them? These handful of ordinary heroes in the Bible show us that serving others doesn't require extraordinary circumstances or status. They highlight that through simple acts of love, kindness, and obedience to God's calling, anyone can become an instrument of positive change and touch the lives of others profoundly. Wouldn't that make you feel good that, to know that you've touched someone's life and they came back to you and said, that thing you said, that thing you did, it made me change my life and turn to Jesus. Other examples um, include Ruth, the book of Ruth. We know she, what, how she stuck by her mother-in-law and was faithful. Um, let's see, those Ananias that I wasn't going to go through until this morning, the Lord said, go ahead. I said, okay, whatever you want. They both led despite themselves, showing humility, compassion, and obedience in their serving. So let us remember that serving, servanthood, and being a servant leader are not merely positions or titles, but a way of life rooted in Christ's teachings. Let us strive to embrace the heart of a servant, leading with love and compassion and being faithful in all things. Because by doing so, we're going to honor the example set by our Savior and reflect his light to a world in need of his love and his grace. So for me, taking ownership and committing to serve in everything I do is a lifestyle. It is something that I was pulled out of my selfishness to do. So let us take heart when we read the scripture of Colossians 3, 23 and 24, which says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Who do you serve, self or Christ? So my teachings, my giftings, I had to discover them, develop them, and now I apply them in every space the Lord allows me to take part in. I take ownership of what he gives me as if it came directly from him, despite the face of the manager that's given it to me. Because sometimes when you're not clear on your spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom within your church home, it's helpful to step up, offer your time, servant heart, stepping in, servant leader, to help you discover, develop, and operate in those gifts. Operating in your spiritual gifts is an important piece to help you mature in your spiritual journey, which is what we're all after. It's, it's a race. We never get to the end of our spiritual journey and say, I made it. I'm mature now. I did it. Those are baby Christians and I'm over here. We never get there. But we strive for it because the one who did get there gave his life for us. So here's my, here's my testimony. When I first started coming to Life Fellowship back in 2009 when we first opened up, 
I don't ever recall seeing immediately the call or the need for me to serve because I was just so excited to find a church home. I was excited. I was like, finally, this feels good. Love is here. I have a relationship with my pastors. I love this. I wanted so desperately to just learn and eat from the word of God and to just be in his presence. And that's what Life Fellowship offered for me. Now, at the time, our church family was small, very small. There are very few of us here now that have been here since the beginning. But as we grew, or we were trying to grow, I went with the first thing that felt natural to me. I'm going to stand outside. I'm going to wave at the cars. I'm going to say, hey, we're here. We're a church. We're on Anders Lane. Come in. We welcome you. That's natural for me. That's my personality. But as I sat doing that and we got bigger and bigger and bigger, like we're huge, right? Um, Families, more families started coming in. And as those families came in, I saw a need. And that need was the little kids sat in the big people sermon and they were fidgety, wanting a color, didn't want to hear big words from the pastor. They were distraction to their parents getting what the word had for them. The Lord showed me that. He showed it to me. I saw it. I asked my husband, did you see the little kid? He's like, no. Oh, guess it was just me. I don't know what that means, but guess it was just me. I saw it. So it was up to me to step up and say, Pastor Christine, is it okay if I take the kids to the back and maybe do some praise and worship songs, put some plays together, let them color, talk to them about the love of Jesus? Absolutely, she said. Come on back. And from there, we created the children's ministry. I was over the director helping her get the children's ministry in place at our old spot. Then later on, the Lord spoke to me again. Me. Nobody else in my family. Me. Because the way it came to me is I would hear a jingle. Guess what that jingle was? If you don't know Lewis, he wears his keys outside looped to his belt. I would hear Lewis going back and forth from the camera that was in the sanctuary to the tech arts room, jingling back and forth. Got to go adjust the camera. Got to go get the audio. Got to make sure the words are up there. See? (laughs) He's jingling now. Jingle it. That's Lewis. The Lord let me hear that. So I asked my husband again, did you hear that jingling during service? He was like, no. You didn't hear? You didn't hear Lewis's keys rattling all the way from the camera, all the way to that room, back and forth he went. It was a distraction to me. He said, no, I wasn't distracted. I was like, okay, Lord, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? Lewis needed help. That's what he was telling me. Lewis, the tech arts team needed help. Okay, Lord. By that time, Karen had come to us. Yes, Karen. He 
you love children, go ahead, take the children's ministry. And I went back, Lewis, I don't know a thing about cameras. I don't know a thing about audio. And I sure as the heck don't know anything about TriCaster or live streaming or an iMac. He said, don't worry about it. You got to know Lewis's nature. He's real cool, laid back. He's just, eh, we'll get it figured out. He's not disturbed. Not even by when the time he disconnected and we were in the middle of praise and worship. That was Lewis. <laughs> we kept singing. He wasn't disturbed. He just calmly plugged it back in, booted everything back up. So we, we help each other back there. But I came in, and be, before we got to what you see today, Lewis and I had to come up every Saturday morning to put in all the scriptures that you see, put in all the lyrics to the songs that you see, Fix the lights, fix the audio, fix the camera, everything that you see being prepared for you to come in on a Sunday morning, Lewis and I were doing for tech arts. I didn't know a thing about it. I still don't care for cameras or audio, but I'm back there. You see me back there every week serving. And when I leave, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I changed my perspective from, I don't want to do this, to, thank you, Lord. You allowed me to walk through that process. I don't know why. I don't know what you, what you intend to do with it. But growing in that space of tech arts reminded me of who I was, the gifts that I had. I'm a fast typer. I can type really fast. That's what I did in my job and in my experience. And with pretty good accuracy, Lewis can tell you. Lewis is a pecker, peck, 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 peck. And so my gift was to come up on Saturday morning and help Lewis get all that stuff in there because I can type it all up and he can go back and edit it just in case I made a mistake. And so we made a good team, but we prepared everything for the Sunday morning for everyone to come in. Look around you because everything that you're able to just step into and enjoy on a Sunday morning, we have volunteers serving, putting the chairs out, cleaning up crumbs, putting out the welcome stuff, the, the coffee, the donuts, bringing all of this equipment from storage back and forth. Y'all see us take put up? Y'all might not see us put up because Lewis gets here about the crack of dawn, seven, eight, and I don't know. But we come in, we set up all of this equipment, but you do witness us at the end, we're putting all of this equipment back up. So even if you can't help because you don't know what that audio box is that transmits sound, because I don't, I know you push the button and you turn the knob and when I get to pushing buttons, Lewis says, stop pushing buttons, that's not the right button. Okay, sorry. <laughs> But I learned all of that and I knew that in every job that I had leading up to where I was, where I am, I was always seen as the technical guru. I was all, in all of the jobs that I had, I was the youngest one there. And you know what you do with the young ones. Figure this software out. Figure out how to connect this, how to connect this laptop to this projector. Figure this out. And it was in me to want to figure it out. So because I, I've held those logistical positions, the Lord was working through me all that time to lead me there. 
Now, that's where I'm comfortable. That's where I'm comfortable. That's where I'm committed. And now I'm being stretched again. And I have to be okay with it because I know everything that I've been eating, becoming this fat cat, getting the word of the Lord in me has to come out. It has to come out. And so the Lord is allowing me the platform to let it out. I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but he does, so I acquiesce. All right, so that's, that's my testimony. And that's how I started, and that's where you see me today. Because here's the thing, you can sit here and eat every week what the pastor gives you and tells you about the Bible and partake in everything that someone else did on a Sunday morning. And that's okay. But at some point, you're going to become the fat cat like me. You have to get yourself off the bench and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. If you've sung those songs this morning, you declared who you were. You declared you were a child of God and that fear, you've overcome fear. All that good stuff you declared this morning in those songs. Now how do you put it to use? In your own church home. The Lord moved me past myself and my excuses to serve, glorify, and magnify his holy name. See, God doesn't just work through you. He works in you. Your service to the Lord is never wasted. In closing, here's one of my husband's favorite verses, Joshua 24, 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. May we all be known as a community of committed servant leaders seeking to make a positive impact on the lives of others as we serve for the glory of God. Amen.